Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoy today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. So I will do that. Go ahead and stand to your feet um, for the reading of the word. We're in Genesis 29, 14 through 30. You're welcome to open up your paper Bible or maybe you have your electronic Bible. You can do that. It'll also be on the screen for you. So Genesis 29, 14 through 30. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel, or shall we say infatuated. I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, oh, that gets more romantic, you guys. Give me my wife. My time is complete, and I want to make love to her. I know y'all are like, did she really just say that? I'm like, yeah, you watch The Bachelorette. If you can handle it there, you can handle it here. I'm just saying. Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love with her. Again, bachelorette. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant, and Jacob made love to Rachel also. And his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. In case you didn't notice, that's 14 total. That's a lot. Well, thank you guys so much for standing for the reading of the word. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And in case you're wondering, you're like, whoa, the Bible's got a lot in it. Maybe like me, you weren't raised in church. And then you read this and you're like, dude, this is like Jerry Springer. This is pretty, this is pretty wild. I mean, and you know, just because the Bible, you know, sometimes we think like everybody in the Bible should be super godly, Right. But we're human. So the Bible is talking about real people who really lived, not a false account. These are real people who lived a real life. And man, some of us, our life and marriage might be a little like a Jerry Springer show. Or maybe we grew up in that. And so I love that biblical characters are something that we can relate with. And so we're moving into this series on love and marriage. And our hope for you is that you will gain some insight as we read about marriages throughout the Bible. 
We're also praying that you will begin to gain a vision for an even better marriage for yourself. And maybe as you're married right now, if you are married right now, you're going to gain a better dream for you and and for your spouse and look forward to something greater in your marriage. And I would even say, dream about how your marriage can grow. And if you're in here and you're like, dude, I'm not married, I'm like 12. Or, <laughs> or, you, or you're like my son who's like, never getting married, never. Although when he was three, he did say, I'll get married when I'm 16. And I was like, mm, no, you won't. <laughs> Right? Um, But we want you to also gain a vision if you are called to marriage or that's something that's in your heart for a marriage that you will have someday. And maybe that's not in your heart, but you can learn something about how to have healthy relationships with others because this is really just healthy relationships 101. So today's focus is going to be satisfaction. I can't get no. Good job. Online people, did you hit the cue too? I really hope that you did. Um, And the question is, am I satisfied with my marriage? Am I content? And I would even ask this, am I satisfied with my life? Are you satisfied with your marriage? Oh, you know it. You better have that answer. Good answer. Good answer. Well, let's talk about that a little bit more, actually. So, Amy, when we were a little Depends on before or after this sermon. When you were a girl, did you dream about your wedding day? Yes and no, maybe. I dreamed more about um, like life afterwards than actual the wedding, but I'm a weirdo, and I'm like, all my friends had their little notebook of like what their dress would be, and then when everything happened and we were getting engaged, I was like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have a booklet. I don't have like a dream wedding dress. Like I wasn't like that, but most of my friends were definitely. You thought about it a little bit. But some a people little really bit. Go into it you know what? And, I uh, knew I wanted to get married in the fall. Okay. Does that count? Yeah. It's funny how you talk to girls. Lots of girls and, 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 and ladies, they grow up. They, they did. They thought about that growing up. They thought about their wedding day. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be beautiful. Everything's going to go according to schedule. It's going to be so smooth. Everybody's going to get along. It's going to be the happiest day anyone has ever experienced. That will be my, my wedding day. And the guy just dreams about the wedding night, basically. Doesn't... <laughs> Just shows up, just make sure you show up to your wife's wedding, is what I was told. (laughs) So we're going to have fun talking through different married couples or couples in Scripture over the next few weeks as we're in family month, but we're going to be doing this love and marriage series. And so today we're talking about Jacob and not his one wife, but two wives. We have a little love triangle going on here in this whole scenario. It's interesting how Jacob ended up with two wives. It wasn't his plan, but... It happened. And so Jacob, he is running for his life, comes up to this well. Near this well, he sees Rachel. Rachel is beautiful. And ironically, Jacob's instantly in love because she's beautiful, right? So there she is. She is the one I'm in love. Now, interestingly enough, Rachel happens to be Uncle Laban's daughter which would make her his cousin. He is in love with his cousin. Isn't this awesome? Like the Bible has incredible (laughs) stories. This is like straight out of Alabama. Honestly. Some of you. (laughs) You know it's true because it's so weird. Yeah, that's right. If I wrote the Bible, this stuff wouldn't be in here. But 
maybe you are still looking for the one, that one you're going to fall in love that's so amazing and beautiful and hot and handsome and all that kind of stuff, and you're still waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. Maybe you just need to go to your next family reunion. <laughs> just look around at your cousins and say, okay, God, is, is he here? Is she here? Just an idea, just a thought from Scripture. Ouch. Stop it. <laughs> or maybe not. <laughs> it's just kind of, so this is his cousin, okay? This is fun context there. Obviously, things were different then than they are now, right? In most places in the world, I guess we could say. So, Jacob. Uh, and we're going to read into this story just a, a couple of times uh, to really pull some points out that really apply to us in our lives, whether you're single or married. This is going to help everybody. Uh, and there's some interesting things that you learn as you see how Jacob responds and how this story unfolds. So here's what we know about Jacob. Jacob has never experienced the love of a dad, unfortunately. He doesn't understand the unconditional love of God. And we know that his brother hates him because his brother wants to kill him. This is why Jacob is running for his life. He is on the run, and this is where he comes across Rachel. He sees Rachel, and she is gorgeous, and he doesn't know her, but she's gorgeous. Therefore, he's in love. And it's all about Rachel, and you really kind of get this idea that, like, he sees her, and, like, there she is. She is the one for me. I found her. And if we're honest, we all long for that. We all long to find that one. Where's that one for me? And, and you'll see people, maybe you've been there before, where people go from relationship to relationship to relationship because the hope is they're going to find that one, that perfect one for them. And when they find that, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be what I've always longed for. We're looking for that one. And so you'll see girls will go uh, from guy to guy to guy to guy, and, and, and it doesn't end well. And so, okay, that wasn't the one, and so we got to find the one. And, and the goal is that we find someone that's going to bring fulfillment to our life, someone that's going to give us the love that we all long for. And when it doesn't happen from, from one man, they'll, they'll move to the next one, and they'll go to the next one, just hoping to find that person that's going to fulfill all the needs they have inside for satisfaction and for love. But men do it too. Men are looking for that girl that's going to make them look good, to make them feel good about themselves. They're looking for someone to, that, that's going to respect them. But if the, if the relationship ends, then that's not the one. So they'll look for the one because we want to find the one because ultimately deep down inside, guys want to know and experience love as well. And then you'll even see this in marriage. Well, one of the, 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 the people will get frustrated. They'll like, okay, I'm done. This isn't the one. And they'll just kind of trade in their old spouse for a new spouse that's younger, maybe better looking because that one wasn't the one, but maybe this next one will be the one. And people just continually chase for the right one. And this is likely what's going on here for Jacob. Sees Rachel and she's the one based upon <laughs> one thing, uh, basically. But let's look at this here. Verse 16, let's go back and just kind of see what's going on. Verse 16 and 17. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. So what the Bible is saying, basically, is that Leah was not attractive, it's not speaking about her vision. Notice it doesn't say anything about Rachel. Like, Rachel had 20-20 vision. She could see perfectly. 
Okay, this is, and scholars will say that it's speaking to that she was unattractive. Maybe she had some sort of facial deformity. And so Rachel, though, was, was nice to look at. So Jacob is obviously physically attracted to Rachel. And that's good because that's how it should be. I mean, there should, you know, physical attraction is very important, right? It's a part of the relationship. But unfortunately, in our culture, in our day and age, we've, we've made that the thing. And we've honestly made relationships more about sex and our own pleasure. And yep. that's not completely what it was intended for. It's a part of it, but it's not the whole thing. Yep. Which ties into just that, the physical, uh, the outward. And we live in a very oversexed culture, guys. We live in an overly externally driven world where appearance is the thing that defines us. And it's wrong. It's wrong. How we look, our appearance does not define who we are. But Jacob appears to be overly concerned about this. His main concern is she's smoking hot. So he's in love because of that. And it seems to be all about attraction, which, okay, attraction is important, but it's not everything. In fact, let me just pause and say it's so important that, especially as you're looking for that person, that there is a spiritual connection. You're on the same page spiritually. And we cannot downplay perhaps the most important aspect of your relationship. Spiritually, are you going the same direction? And this can be a difficult thing for people, especially when you're on that search, on that hunt. You're just like, I'm open, Lord. Where is she? Where is he? And is this the one, you know, you're on, it can be easy as that goes on for our heart to kind of get desperate, for us to kind of start opening the door to like, okay, maybe this one, I know there's, you know, they they believe in God, you know, and we can kind of compromise. And really what is taking place is we're not trusting God in this area of our life. And it's important that we do. And I'll never forget when I felt very convicted about this. I was 21 years old through my high school and early college years, I had had quite a few relationships, really basically just did it wrong, was uh, just into the, the physical thing with girls, and I felt very convicted by God, like, God was basically like, do you trust me? Do you trust me in this area of your life? And I honestly had to say, no, I haven't, but I want to. And I made a decision at the age of 21 with God. I said, God, I want to fall in love with you before I ever fall in love with some girl. And I meant it, and I really leaned into that relationship with Jesus more than I ever had in my entire life. That went on for a couple of years and just loved what God was doing in me. I was learning how to find fulfillment in God and nothing else in life. I found myself in this place where, honestly, I was fully satisfied in life because of my relationship with the Lord. But then I also find myself in this place like, okay, God, I feel like I'm ready. Okay, can you bring her along? Okay, where is she? Uh, what's going on? I, I wasn't thinking this time frame when I made this decision, God, come on down. You know, and it kind of went year after year after year after year after year. And it was only seven years, but it felt like 70. You know how that can feel like forever when you're like, oh, where is she? You know, kind of a deal. And all your friends are married and already having kids and by having now. Kids. And like you're my, like the only single one. Yeah, they weren't just married. They're having kids. I'm like, I'm not even dating. Okay, God, here we go, you know, and so uh, finally Amy came into the picture, and we knew each other for a year. We actually served in ministry together for about a year, 
And a year into knowing her, and, and we actually weren't even that close. It was more, oh. more of a professional But you weren't close with any girls, let's be real. You, like, had that shutdown that was, like, they would ask you, like, hey, I don't feel like there's a connection. And you'd be like, yeah, that's on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> kind of had to guard my heart. <laughs> like, like, he legit said that to someone. That was, that's not that even was a an real conversation that I had with a girl, yes. And... You were good. You were shut down to all the other girls, including me. It's okay. So, after about a year of working and seeing her and watching her, something happened. Something shifted in my heart. It's like God opened my eyes, but I fell hard and fast for Amy. And I can honestly say that I fell in love with your character and who she was. I saw how she loved people and loved God, like, more than anybody else that I knew. And still that way. Like, her heart was so pure and amazing. I'm like, this is the kind of girl I actually want to spend the rest of my life with. And so it went fast and, and quick, and, and she actually later on admitted, I was praying for years that God would have somebody fall in love with me for my character, and that's really what happened for us in the beginning. And so we ended up getting married, and I was 28 at that time when we got married. So it really was a seven-year period between that decision and that covenant I made with the Lord and then us getting married. Uh, getting married, and I entered into marriage still in that, that season where I was satisfied, to be honest. I was fulfilled. Yes, I wanted to be married, but Amy didn't make me satisfied and fulfilled, but she added to it. Then what's amazing is you enter into marriage, and you can, you can be doing good in certain areas, and then all of a sudden something happens in life, and then all of a sudden you can be doing poor in that area. You know what I'm saying? You've been there. like We've had throughout our marriage totally. career... Life. Yeah, We've just ups and career. downs. I don't like to call it a career. That's career. Weird. Our marriage is a career. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the irony <laughs> of all of this right? is that, you know, Tyrone and I didn't actually talk and meet until I was 21 years old. But when I was 16 and he was 21, yeah, you can calculate the years. I, I actually calculated the years between us because he came to one of our winter camps. And so the year that you made that dedication to the Lord was the first year that I had seen him. And I had made it a same dedication that I wasn't going to be dating probably for the rest of my high school um, life because the Lord knew this was an idol in my heart, not because I'm like special and holier. I'm just, let me clarify that. Um, but I'm looking and I've given up guys, but I look at Tyrone on stage and I immediately calculate the years between us. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's like six and a half years. And then this thought comes in my mind. I remember this clear as day. And I'm like, how weird would it be if you're like looking at your future spouse and you don't know them or they're going to be. And, you know, I had no idea as a 16 year old, but, you know, or the prophetic gifting that I would have growing up. But it's crazy to me that in the moment where you decided to trust God, that he was preparing your wife to look at you with eyes of respect mm -hmm. and honor. So there you go. So what she's saying is she wanted me for seven years, and that uh, it finally came of to pass. Of course you translate it saying. like that. Of course you do. <laughs> You're just lucky you got me. Yeah, Let's be real. Come on. So the goal is that you and I would find satisfaction ultimately in the Lord. And I want you to know it's possible. It is so possible for you to find all of your fulfillment in God. I love what the psalmist says, Psalm 107, verse 8. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love, for his wonderful deeds for men. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. This is a psalmist that's speaking from experience. 
And that's my prayer is that you wouldn't just know that it's possible, but you would experience the deep fulfillment that comes in a close relationship with the Lord. I love what John Piper said. One of his famous quotes is this, is that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And the goal is that your life and everything you do would glorify God. I pray that your marriage today or even someday would be something that glorifies God. It points people to God. But we've got to be in this place where we're satisfied in him in order for that to fully take place. So what we want to do is we want to keep walking through the story here. and we want to give you three problems that arise when you and I look for satisfaction outside of God. Three things that happen when we think that finding the one, that marriage is the answer. Now, we see the scenario taking place in Jacob's life. Like, he's all after Rachel, she's the one, and this is going to solve all of my problems and issues in life. And so, if you're taking notes, write these things down. Okay, number one, okay, there's three problems that we wrongly believe that marriage is the answer. Number one is you compromise more than you should. So I'll kick us off. I'm actually going to talk about two of the problems, starting with we compromise more than we should. And we're going to take a look at Genesis 29, 18. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I will work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. So what's he doing? He's going to the dad. He's like, I want her. How do I get her? And he says, you have, or not Jacob, but um, Uncle Laban says, you have to work for her. And he's like, how long? And he says, seven years. I'm going to work for her for seven years. And maybe if you're a woman in here, there's a few thoughts you're having right here, which is, number one, for me, this is offensive. Like, I don't need to be bought. I need to be one, right? Um, And he offers seven years. Did you know that technically um, the offer for working was only supposed to be for two years? And this was normal within their culture for the man to have to pay for his bride. And so he paid with her for cattle or he paid with her by money and Jacob didn't have either of those so he had to pay for her by working. And the normal amount would be two years but he's like, no, I'll do seven years. Seven years I'll work for her. Um, And so yes, it is a little bit offensive um, but maybe you're also thinking, hey, that's pretty romantic. Man, he could have had her in two years but he was willing to wait seven years and to show her what she's worth. And yes, maybe it is a little romantic, but it's also insane. It's totally insane because what he does is four times the normal amount. Four times. Really what he's saying is, I'll do anything to get with that girl. I'll compromise more than I should. And it's easy for us to look at Jacob and be like, oh, that's dumb. But I'm sure that some of us have done that in some way too. And I know that our world does that, where they see something they want, and instead of waiting on God's timing, they're like, "Mm, I'm just going to go get it for myself, and I'm going to compromise more than I should. And we end up paying more, not only more than we should, the cost ends up being greater than what God's asking. Anyways, that was free for you. And so he gives up more than he should, and we do that a lot today. And you see that when the young girl says, hey, I want to save my body, or young man, I want to save my body for marriage. And what happens is somebody that they are really passionate about and they want their love and affection, they're willing to basically lay down some of their um, preferences or even their goals in order to keep that person. 
And for me personally, this is where I was at. Before salvation, I thought, man, this is the way. I've got to look beautiful and attract men. And if I give myself away, then maybe they'll love me. And that's where our world is at until God came in and he rescued me personally and was like, no, you're worth more than that. But we compromise and give physically to get love. Or maybe you're dating someone or have dated someone that has literally treated you like a jerk, been manipulative and maybe even a little bit verbal abusive, but you put up with it because you feel like you don't deserve any better or you don't see anything out there. And you're thinking, well, I'm getting older. I mean, what more is there? I might as well just keep this one. And so you compromise. Or you're a strong Christian in here and you're thinking, you know what, there's nobody I see for me at church. So you start dating that guy or that girl at work or somebody you met online and they're not spiritually strong, but you're like, I don't see anybody else. So then you compromise. And maybe they're going to church with you, but they're going to church for you, not for God. And so you miss out on what God might have for you, and you compromise more than you should. It becomes a trade-off, right? You trade off what you'd really truly desire for something that's lesser than. And God has so much good for you. And that's really what Jacob does. I'll work for you for seven years. I only have to work two, but I'll give you seven. And in the end, what he's saying is I'm willing to do that because I want the one, the one that's going to fulfill me completely, complete me and make me feel valued. That's really what he's saying in this spot. And when marriage is your answer, when finding the one is your answer, you will compromise every time, all the time, more than you should. And the second thing I want to talk about today and the second problem is we become too demanding. Everybody say demanding. I mean, none of you struggle with being demanding, right? I'm the only one. I mean, in COVID, I feel like people are more demanding than usual. Do you not agree with me? Yeah, we have a little bit of higher expectations. Well, in Genesis 29:21, Jacob had some expectations. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to lay with her. He's like, it's time. I paid the price. Now she needs to do for me. He's basically saying, I gave, so now I get. And this is not respectful of Rachel. And it's not respectful of her father either. And I think if we're being honest in here in our relationships, and especially marital relationships, we maybe would never say that out loud. Hey, I did this, so now you need to follow through on your part. But we do kind of think it where we're saying like, hey, I emptied the dishwasher, now you need to fill it. Nobody's been there before, right? (laughs) Or I don't know if you're a guy, I took you on a romantic date, so you know that what that means when we get home, right? Hey, I'm just saying what y'all are thinking, what we all go through, right? We do so we can get, and that's not necessarily what God has for us because what happens is it turns that covenant into a contract, It removes the relationship from being an intimate relationship to being a transaction. God hasn't called us to a transaction types of relationships, whether that's within your marriage or within others, where I give you, I give you, give to me back. It's giving, right? For it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And we see this played out, especially within marriage, within um, sex and affection. It happens. All withhold this if you do this. 
if you don't, if I don't get this, then you won't get that. And if I'm being honest, I can be even a little bit demanding. I kind of want Tyrone to read my mind. Girls, have you been there? You know, it's like Gilmore Girls. Tyrone hates Gilmore Girls, but I love Gilmore Girls. And the reason he hates Gilmore Girls is because the way they talk is like they finish each other's sentences, right? Like they know what each other are thinking. And let's be real, we all hope for that in our marriage. We're like, I just want you to finish my sentence to know how I feel just by looking at me. It's not going to ever happen, though. No. I love you, but no, it is not going to ever happen. Let that dream die, but don't be, I mean, don't demand that because it ain't. Girlfriend, it ain't not going to happen. We don't understand what's going on up there all the time, so. That's true. Well, if we're being truly honest, biologically, at birth, your brain was retarded by a wash of testosterone and you can't synopse back and forth like we can. Anyways. There's scientific truth to that, yes. Okay, wow, we digress. Um, But let's be real, Tyrone gets hangry when he gets home. Like, he expects dinner to be ready when he gets home. Yeah, except that I'm homeschooling a six-foot-two teenager who's a little bit reluctant at the same time as basically running lots of other jobs. And you can't always expect that. So I get a little demanding? You get a little hangry. Now, let's be real, Amy can be demanding, too. So many times I come home and she's like, hey there, hot stuff, get over here right now. And I'm like, oh, again? She's so demanding, so demanding. Well, let's get back to the message. Even even a good marriage, right? Even in a good marriage, there's going to be, I do my part, now you do yours. And even though Tyrone and I have found, um, at one point before we were married, decided to find everything that we need in Jesus, it doesn't mean that we won't reverse back and start trying to find it in each other. And that's when we become demanding. And what happens is we serve not with a pure motive. We begin to give, to get, and actually that is not serving, that's self-serving. And every time you self-serve, you're going to be disappointed. Every single time. And that brings us to number three, the third and final problem, which is we always end up dissatisfied. When we think marriage is the answer, we end up, number three, dissatisfied. So a lot of people go into marriage with all these expectations. And sometimes, if you've been here before, one or even both can have so many expectations that there's no way that one person could ever fulfill all of those expectations. And basically what we're doing is we're setting up our spouse for failure. So we see Jacob walking into this with all these expectations, but he ends up completely dissatisfied because of unmet expectations. So he's slaving away seven years. At the end of it, he's like, okay, finally, he's demanding Uh, Give me my wife. It's my time. I did my part. It's time for her to do her part. All through this time, Uncle Laban is kind of wrestling through this scenario of what do I do because I've promised my younger daughter, but truth is I'm supposed to give away my older daughter first. And so he comes up with a plan to deceive Jacob, who himself is a deceiver also. But Uncle Laban deceives Jacob and sneaks Leah into the wedding chamber. 
So let's look at verse 23 again. Genesis 29, verse 23. When evening came, Laban took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob, and Jacob lay with her. The translations on the screen says, made love to her. Jump to verse 25. When morning came, there was Leah. What? So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? He's like, ah! Why don't you say that? Say that with me right now. Say, ah! Okay. All right, good. That's good. Because that's how Jacob's feeling right now this morning. Like, oh, seriously, I served you for Rachel, didn't I? That's what he says. Why have you deceived me? Interestingly enough, Jacob's name means deceiver, but he's been deceived by Uncle Laban. See, anytime you think that someone is going to meet all of your needs, this is the scenario that happens. When we think that we found the one, when we think that marriage is the answer, we're going to think we've gone to bed with Rachel, but we're always going to wake up with Leah. When you think marriage is the answer, you're going to think you've gone to bed with Rachel, but you're always going to end up waking up with Leah because you put your stocks and your expectations in the wrong place. If you think your spouse is going to meet all your needs, you're going to have a rude awakening. You're going to be disappointed. You're going to be frustrated. You probably will even end up angry because it will always be Leah. It'll never be Rachel. Now, let's think about it from Leah's perspective here. Leah's probably thinking, and she's unloved here. This is is a very sad story for Leah. She's unloved. She's unwanted, but she's thinking. You can see it even in what she says here. If I just do this, then he'll love me. If I... Like, hang out with him. If he gets to know me, then he'll love me. If I give him my body, if I give him a a child, a son, then he will love me. And unfortunately, it never happens. It's very, very sad. So let's look at this here. Verse 31, 32 says, When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. And can you just sense the sadness in those words? She longs desperately to be loved by her husband. Since I've done this, now surely I'm going to get this. This is what she's longing for, hoping for, even expecting. These are some sad words. If I give him children, then he'll love me. If I make more money, then she'll love me. If I have the surgery, if I change my lifestyle, if I do this, if I do this, but then the love never comes. And we see that played out today as well. And this is such an interesting little love triangle we're looking at here. And what you don't see in this story, which is interesting because it's a biblical story, you don't see prayer. You don't see any kind of spiritual connection or evidence of faith where they're going to God and saying, hey, God, what's your will? These guys are just making a decision to feed their need. Instead of going to God and saying, what do you have for me? They're searching for what they want from the wrong place. And can I just tell you, you're going to find everything that you need if you just find the one. The soulmate, the person that completes you, the person that loves you, the person that makes you feel loved, wanted, and valued. But you might just be looking for the wrong one. 
You see, our spouse was never meant to be our number one. God was meant to be our number one, and our spouse was meant to be our number two. Even the most perfect spouse will fail you. And there's a few ways that they can fail you. Can I just uh, start with my own story? And one of the reasons why I felt that I needed to really give up the idol of men in my life, because my amazing father, leader extraordinaire in the military, incredible dad, uh, died when I was nine. My parents were 32 years old. Even the perfect spouse has limitations, including death. But Jesus says in Hebrews 3, 5, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. He is the only one that can truly be there for you. But also, even the perfect spouse may not make you feel loved based on your perception of what love is. Goodness, we're broken people, and so sometimes what we perceive as love isn't really love in the first place. So you might be married to somebody who's giving love all day, every day, but you don't receive it. Or maybe they're really cool like Tyrone, but he don't get me all the time because I got a female brain going on up in here, and I'm an extrovert. He's an introvert, so maybe he can't speak my love language the way I expect him to even though he's a great man. And so where do I need to find my needs? It says that in John 6, 35, that Jesus declared, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. But every time I come to get it from him, I'm gonna leave thirsty and hungry. And I think I told you guys this earlier, right? We, we decided to make God our number one, but that doesn't mean we don't have to choose that every single day. Every time I get frustrated with him, I feel like the Lord's like, mm, what are, where are you finding it? Where you where you find in your your worth? Where you find in your value? Where are you looking for your your security? If you're looking at, for it in Tyrone, you're gonna be upset. And so it's almost a gift that I'm upset at you, <laughs> because it's a reminder that he's not the one. My one is my one is Jesus, and Jesus needs to be our one. He needs to be your one. And, you know, we're talking about this in a marriage context, but maybe you found disappointment in friends. Maybe you found disappointment in your father or your mother or your sister or your brother. Good news, every time you feel that pain of, I didn't get fulfilled in that relationship, that's because you weren't supposed to. Jesus is your one. You know, this really goes along with this theme for our year of kingdom first putting him first in everything. And I think it's good for us as married couples, if you're married here, to have this mindset of, my spouse doesn't owe me anything, but I owe them everything. That is a good mindset to approach the relationship. But isn't it interesting how we make, in our culture, it's all about dating and marriage. It's, it's like it consumes us. Television shows about it. Millions of songs about, it's all about, you know, finding one, getting hooked up, you know, dating, and then eventually, you know, getting married. It's, it's all about that. And we have made that the answer. But some problems come into our life, and we think that marriage is the answer. And I just want to speak to the single people, all the single people in the house, people that are single that are listening to us, to join us right now. I just want you to know that if you're single, there is nothing wrong with you. And it is okay to be single. And I pray that we would be a church that doesn't look down on people because they're single. Oh, we just need to find you somebody, girl. 
Like, why aren't you dating anybody right now? You let me help with that. Okay, so there's a lot of single people that long to be married, and that's okay. That's, that's, a, that's a, a God-given longing. And so it's okay to pursue that, to be open to that, to be ready, to be preparing for that. That's, that's, oh, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with maybe trying to hook people up. All that can be kind of fun. But um, we don't want to cause people to think that that's the answer to their life. And some of you, maybe you were married before and now it ended and you want to get married again or maybe you don't want to get married again. Whatever, it's fine because we just want you to know that this church is a safe place for you to be single. And if you are single for the rest of your life, uh, then we want you to know that you still belong here and we don't look down on single people. Whether or not you have a relationship does not give you value. Our value comes from God and God alone. Not if I'm married or not, or in process of that. Can we receive that? I think it's so, so important. Yet marriage is a very biblical thing. God created it. And so we want to make sure those of us who are getting married, who are married, we have strong, healthy marriages. So let's bring this to a close here. And look at Leah. She has been longing for the love of her husband. Desperately. So she gives him Reuben, hoping, like we just read, that surely now he'll love me, but it doesn't come. She gives him another son, and then a third son. Every single time she's hoping this will be the thing that causes Jacob to give love back to me, and it never happens. And then interestingly enough, I don't, I don't know if we have this for you on the screen, but verse 35 of chapter 29 says this. It says, she conceived again, fourth son. When she gave birth to a son, she said, this time, I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah, which means praise God. And then she stopped having children. It's interesting that Leah was the father or the mother of Judah. Because it was through Judah that the Messiah would come through his lineage fascinating to me that God would choose Leah and not Rachel. Isn't it? God chose the one who was overlooked, who was unwanted, who was unloved, who was looked down upon, who didn't look good enough. He chose her to bring the lineage of Messiah, Jesus. <laughs> we got to catch the significance of that, guys. We get caught up on the outward and all this other stuff. And I want you to know that no matter where your marriage is at, maybe it started rocky, maybe it's in a rocky place, I want you to know that with God, there's always hope. Because this story and the whole lineage of Leah and how God used her shows us the redemptive power of God, the transforming power of God. And he can do a work in any of us, no matter who we are, no matter how you feel. God is for you. He can bring healing and restoration, and he can use you and bring about great things through your life and give you an amazing, strong marriage. And I pray that for you. Maybe you're in a place where it's tough in marriage. I just want to encourage you guys to get together. As a couple, get together, hold hands, and just begin to pray. Maybe you need to pray, God, forgive us for not making you our number one, for putting too many expectations on my spouse. God, forgive me, forgive us. 
God, we put you first. And let God be the strength of your marriage and your relationship. Put him first. Make God your one. And everything else, two, three, four, five, six. Make God your one. Find your satisfaction and your fulfillment in him. So that God can be glorified through your life and through your marriage. Remember that quote that I shared? God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. You can get to that place where you're satisfied in God no matter what. It is possible. No human being can meet all your needs. They can't give you all the love that you need. They can't fulfill every longing in your heart. Only God can do that. So I want to encourage you and I just to go to his love these next few moments. Just receive his love here, his life-changing, powerful love. God's love has no agenda. God's love is pure. It is it's unconditional. It's, it's untainted. I love this about God's love is motive free. It's faithful and he's always there for you. Would you stand on your feet? We're gonna pray. And this is something all of us can receive. Married or single, God's love. That's what we need. And maybe you're here today and, and today's a day that you need to say yes to Jesus for the first time. Surrender to his love in your life. If you've never made that decision, to follow Jesus and commit to him. I'd encourage you to do it today. Ask for forgiveness for your sins. Commit to just being in a relationship with him and following him for the rest of your life. It is the greatest decision you'll ever make. Marriage is very important. That's the second most important decision you make in life. Number one is are you gonna follow Jesus and serve him? Do it right now. He loves you more than you can ever realize. And I pray that you would experience his love, maybe for the first time. real. And I pray over these next few moments that we would just experience God's love, all of us. Maybe again, maybe you just need refreshing right now. God's love is going to refresh you. God's love is going to encourage you. God's love is going to give you hope for where, even where you're at right now. I believe God's going to restore, renew hope into many of you right now. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we come to you recognizing Jesus. We need you. We need you. And we're so thankful for your love was demonstrated so clearly by dying for us on that cross. The greatest love that this world has ever known was shown through you, still given from you to us. And so God, right now we receive your love. I pray that your love would fall in this place, that your love would fall uh, in, in every living room and every, every heart that is listening right now. Would you, would you fill us with the, your powerful, life-changing love? God, we need your presence to move in and among us right now, especially for those that need hope, that need strength, that need encouragement. Lord, I pray that your loving presence would infuse them with hope right now and encouragement right now and strength right now. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray this. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.